my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive, six, seven, eight, OBYWG Tribe. Here is a quick peek at our supplement product and book of the month for February 2020. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is Vitamin D3 Boost. This is our newest advanced formulation, combining all the benefits of Vitamin D3, Vitamin K2, Magnesium, and MCT oil. The 10% discount code for the entire month is, and it's all lowercase, V-I-T-D-10. The product of the month for February is Juve, red light therapy devices. I personally own the Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them both daily. The book of the month for February is Cancer and the New Biology of Water by Dr. Tom Cowan. Hands down, my personal favorite book of 2019. Keep in mind, all the links, discount codes, and special offers for the product, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes and iTunes, post on social media, and our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer and I'm your co-host. Today I'm super excited to have for a second time around Dr. Kendra Becker as our guest. Dr. Becker is a naturopath and a 4A specialist working with conditions like asthma, allergies, autism, and atopy slash eczema. She's the author of a delicious way to heal the gut, and the co-host of the Holistic Health Hour. You can find more information about Dr. Becker at www.drkendrabecker.com and www.holistichealthhour.com. Dr. Beck, you are in some rarefied air. I'm thinking only two other people that have been on twice is Dr. Tom O'Brien and James Maskell. So. Oh, my. I am absolutely honored to be among the greats. <laughs> You know, so so when you asked if you can come back on and deep, deep dive deeper into some more common gene mutations, I was excited, especially after the incredible interview we did regarding uh, MTHFR. So how are you today? I'm great, and actually we got some sun here in Connecticut, so I'm grateful for that because it seems like it's been weeks. <laughs> I know it's 90 something degrees here over in New Jersey too, so I'm stoked. So before we begin, just in case somebody didn't hear our first. Uh, um, interview, which I do encourage everybody to go back and listen to. Uh, how about a little bit of your backstory for the audience, just to get a feel for who you are? All right, absolutely. So my story goes kind of like this. I mean, I graduated from college as a registered nurse. You know, I worked in Boston and then subsequently in Southern California. And I was in Southern California right around the time when the HMOs started rolling out in the hospitals. And it just seemed to me that there was such a disconnect with health and health care. So I started to kind of look, um, you know, for deeper reasoning behind illness and, of course, came upon, you know, holistic medicine, naturopathic medicine. Saw my first naturopath myself around that time who said, nobody should be eating gluten. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm Italian. <laughs> so um, which is always, you know, the response I get from my patients now. But that's that's a whole nother podcast. And um <laughs> So from from there, I moved back to the East Coast and started my journey uh, in holistic medicine. So I graduated from uh, the University of Bridgeport with my ND, and then subsequently from Sacred Heart, which is also in Connecticut, with my APRN. Because in Connecticut, naturopaths are not allowed to prescribe pharmaceuticals. And on a rare occasion, I find that that's important. I've been in practice about 12 years, and over the last five or six years, I've really kind of <clears throat> narrowed and uh, honed in on genetics and, and genetic medicine, particularly 
among the pediatric population. But as you know, with genetics, you know, genetics come from someplace, like the parents and the grandparents in particular. And research shows us that grandparents' health has a far greater bearing on our children's health than really our, ours, our health does as their parents. So nowadays I see uh, a lot of pediatric patients, but I also do see their parents and a lot of times their grandparents. And so I spend a, a lot of time, you know, hyper-focusing on genetics. You know, genetics, as you know, don't define you, um, but they certainly, you know, can be modulated by the environment in a favorable or unfavorable way. So I think having that information, you know, particularly in a family lineage can certainly, you know, make make you or allow you as a family to make better health choices. And so that's kind of where I've been. I've really been laser focused. And interestingly enough, when I was preparing for this particular podcast, uh, a lot of information research-wise has come out uh, about this uh, COMT mutation, and we're finding, those of us that are really kind of studying it, that it has almost a larger bearing on how our body works as opposed to MTHFR. Of course, clearly, they work very closely together. So that's kind of my story. <clears throat> well, you demystified MTHFR for me, so I'm thrilled about that, and our and our title of the chat today is COMT, the warrior or warrior. So let's dive. I can barely say that warrior or warrior. So let's dive right in. What is what is COMT in its base form? All right. So I did want to just review for your viewers in case they didn't catch the whole podcast, you know, about a SNP. You know, so SNP stands for single nucleotide polymorphism, which is basically a means that there is a, a genetic variability among our, our population. So as we talked about the last time with MTHFR, about 60 percent of the population carries an MTHFR mutation. And why that's important is because if you carry an MTHFR mutation, you're higher, uh, more susceptible to something called oxidative stress. And we worry about oxidative stress stress because it's basically the catalyst for chronic disease. <clears throat> so moving on to COMT, that mutation works very closely with uh, MTHFR because MTHFR, as you know, modulates uh, folate and B12 and B6 on some level as well. Well, you need the proper signaling from folate, B6, and B12 to make your COMT uh, enzyme work properly. So COMT stands for catechol-O-methyltransferase, which is why we call it COMT, because it's just a whole lot easier to say. <clears throat> and basically, uh, what uh, COMT does is it catalyzes the transfer of a of a methyl group from uh, SAM, S-adenylmethionine, uh, to a hydroxyl group. So basically what that means is it's kind of like the guillotine. So it, it takes a, a portion of a molecule off and pu puts it on something else. So the, the biochemistry for most people is, is inconsequential and their eyes glaze over. But the way that we can explain it simply is we say it influences dopamine. It influences norepinephrine and it is influences estrogens, right? These are all things that affect all of us as adults. And, and if these uh, items are, these hormones are out of balance, we are in deep trouble. So we know that the genetic variation in our population is about 10%. Um, and those people that are expressing that particular mutation have um, conditions that are related to anxiety, estrogen-related cancers. They've correlated schizophrenia and neurodegenerative diseases like dementia, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's also with COMT mutations. 
So it definitely is something that has a huge bearing on our health. And, and that's what I see a lot in my practice is I have, you know, parents that come in that say, I have a mother who has Alzheimer's who's in a home. You know, she doesn't even recognize me. And I'm trying to raise two small children and I want to make sure that their fate isn't the same. And so that's when, you know, we start talking a lot about genetics. <clears throat> okay. So, so now you laid down the framework of what it is. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I want to get to what what can we do about it. But how how do we find out that we have this COMT or a one one or more of these COMT genetic mutations? Right. So it all. So what I say is, you know, go and see a provider that understands genetics. For me, it's easy to test. It's it's spit. You know, you can use a cheek swab or you can use saliva and you can test it through any number of companies that are now offering genetic testing. Now, for me, you know, I always err on the side of paranoia. So I always suggest that my patients, you know, use an inexpensive test and just pay for it out of their pocket. So, you know, sometimes these larger companies, these 23andMe or Genosite or other companies like that, um, they'll data mine your information. So they'll de-identify you, right? They'll take away your name and your demographics, but they'll send your gene SNPs to pharmaceutical companies so they can make better drugs. So I always recommend using smaller companies. I use a company out of uh, Wisconsin called Neuroscience that does very, very specific testing. There's another company called Cortigen that's out of uh, the Boston area that also does very targeted testing. Because I think for the most part, getting your whole genome for the vast majority of people is going to be useless information. And so it makes it very easy to kind of hone in and test, you know, just specific things if you're worried about specific concerns. Okay, so if we use one of these companies, we do a spin mm-hmm. test. I, I did 23andMe years ago, and I know that you can link that to genetic genie or strategene. Is that the same thing you would do with, with these neuroscience or the cortigene companies, the same kind of concept? Exactly, except for you kind of you don't have to go and re-upload your data like through Stratagene or through Genetic Genie or any of the other companies. Most of it, um, like through Cortigen, for example, you get a full printout of uh, whether or not you have the gene and whether or not it's expressed right on one piece of paper. So yes, and and the other tests like neuroscience, um, you don't again don't need an interpretation because you're generally only testing one, two, five, or ten mutations. So you don't need this huge like upload process. All the information is given to you in a one shot deal. And how do you spell cortigene <laughs> for those who are interested? C O U R T A G E N. Okay. <clears throat> So then it's as simple as that you would go on their site, order order their kit, spit in a little tube, send it back, and they send you this, right? Exactly, exactly right. And, you know, neuroscience, you have the results back in 10 days. Cortigen, depending on the complexity of the panel that you've chosen, can be closer to two weeks. But, again, it saves you a whole lot of time. You know, when you and I did 23andMe years ago, I'm, we had our results back in three weeks, but that is not the case these days. Now my patients are waiting three, sometimes four months. So if it's, if it's something that you need, to know kind of immediately it definitely is worthwhile to do one of these other use one of these other companies okay so that, so then you get you get the test results you listen to our first um, interview on MTHFR you listen to this one and then you go and find the practitioner that can help you decipher this material a little bit more is that is that it, the next step 
Exactly right. Because, you know, this is and interestingly enough. So I'm preparing this lecture for you because, you know, I like to be prepared and I like, you know, I like concise information. So then all over Facebook this weekend, everybody is posting about this mutation, you know, because I'm in that genetic world. So I see this stuff. And, you know, all these patients are saying, oh, I was prescribed this, this and this by my doctor. I have a COMT mutation and I got sicker. And so that's one of the things that I really wanted to talk about with you and and with your uh, client base is that you can't really go to any old practitioner because people that are not educated can certainly push this enzyme in the wrong direction and you will feel worse before you feel better for sure. Okay, so so it affects dopamine, norepinephrine, yep. uh, estrogen. You said it can have neurodegener- neurodegenerative cause neurodegenerative problems, maybe anxieties yep. and. Uh, uh, things of that nature. What what do we do? What do we right. do when we find out we have this? All right. So, well, let's let's talk about this first. So, there's two types of COMT expression, right? So, either you got it or you don't got it, right? And so, and that's why I called this talk the warrior or the warrior, right? So, if you have two copies of this mutation, that means that your body is not degrading dopamine, uh, epinephrine, or methyl groups. So what that basically means is your body is making appropriate levels of these neurochemicals, and they are sitting in the neurologic synapse, and they're not getting broken broken down, like kind of like your garbage truck ha- is on strike. So you have a lot of garbage left in these synapses. Well, you'd think, hey, it's dopamine. It's a feel-good hormone. But if you have extra dopamine sitting in your neurosynapse, you're going to be anxious, right? You're going to be revved up. You're going to be the, the type of person that, you know, is, is quick-tempered. You're going to have tolerance, you know, intolerance to foods that other people can eat with ease, you know, like a, like aged cheese or uh, foods that are high in histamine like bone broth. Um, if you have no copies of this mutation and your COMT is working normally, you generally have normalized or lower levels of dopamine, Um, you have higher needs of things like B12 and folate, and you have higher needs of things like ginkgo biloba or tyrosine. So the way I describe it to my patients is I describe it as the warrior or the worrier, right? So the warrior is the guy with the excess dopamine uh, intolerance to methyl groups, and so I usually call that guy the paratrooper, right? Because they're going to jump out of airplanes, then they're going to go hit the ground running they're going to have constant energy they're going to have no issues with fear or anxiety the lower um, dose dopamine or the zero copies of of comt is the eeyore type right you don't have any dopamine you don't have any rest and digest hormones you're not manufacturing it properly from the gut so you're going to be the eeyore those people are the ones that really live in in a state of functional depression they just never really feel good they never really feel um you know i don't want to use the word normal it's the wrong word to use but they never really feel like they're at their optimal potential so those people actually do very well when you kind of push the methyl pathways but i think you know that's important to to note because if you've got this mutation you got to know kind of which way you're going to you need to go with it as far as treatment okay so then what is the treatment So the treatment is actually very simple, to be quite honest with you. Um, Simple, but not simple. So the truth of the matter is, is where are these neurochemicals produced in the gut, right? Right. Uh, So we've got to work on the gut. 
because the problem is, is if you uh, upregulate your COMT mutation and you're eating a lot of foods that are high in oxalates or a lot of processed foods that have synthetic folic acid in it or, or foods that you're sensitive to, you can do something called upregulate this enzyme. So when you upregulate this enzyme, now you are reducing further the body's ability to break down dopamine. So the problem with that is, and here's you know some of the sticking points that I really wanted to discuss, is these are the people you upregulate the COMT enzyme and you downregulate the opiate receptors. So what happens there? These people have a disordered uh, um, association with pain. So potentially these are people, these are the genetics that are around uh, drug addiction. So when you upregulate your COMT, you you decrease the body's ability to kind of throw away any of the neurotransmitters you're using. When that happens, you cut off the body's ability to be able to interpret pain properly. So now you have a very, very low threshold for pain. So these are the chronic pain patients, the fibromyalgia patients, the patients that never get well despite trying everything from every doctor. And so I think that's a really important point to make is that a lot of times just kind of tweaking the, the genetic can really, really help. And so we always start with the gut, right? We got to clean up the diet. Didn't we do this the last time? You know, we so. talked all, yeah, we <laughs> talked all about genetic mutations and then it basically came back to a paleo diet. Yep. But so in this case, depending on the patient that you're seeing, um, the, a lot of times these patients can't tolerate a paleo diet because the histamine, which is released from, you know, a lot of foods that contain meat um, and some certain vegetables, again, things like bone broth, things like curcumin can be a histamine producer, which is given, uh, you know, ubiquitously for chronic pain. These patients may have a very, very hard time tolerating that kind of diet. So for them, they have to do something more of like an anti-inflammatory diet, which is a diet that basically takes out any food that's going to provoke the body to create inflammation. And so when you heal the gut that way, you can um, kind of change the landscape in the microbiome and then set the body up to be able to produce these neurochemicals in a proper fashion. And I think that that's, you know, here in Connecticut, and I'm not sure what the climate is in New Jersey, you know, we are having the the heroin deaths are, are crazy. The, the yeah. amount of heroin deaths are just so, so scary and sad. And so there's a lot of legislation right now around opiate abuse and, you know, they're restricting doctors who prescribe opiates and they have to, they have to go through all this rigorous training and this, that, and the other thing. And, and so, you know, what my comment is to all of these legislators is, is unless we're having a big conversation around pharmacology and the use of alternative treatments to treat pain instead of medicating people, you know, we're going to continue to have a problem. So, and these people, you know, 80%, as you know, 80% of people that are addicted to heroin got a pharmaceutical prescription from a doctor for an injury, 80%. So, if that's the case, then we know that these people are genetically predisposed to that kind of behavior. And my opinion is, is it comes from this particular mutation. If, uh, when you talk about diet, are we talking about more of like an autoimmune paleo diet? Or is it that strict are we talking about? Like no eggs, no nuts? Is that, is that what we're angling towards? Um, not, it all depends on the patient, you know, so if you have a patient that has, um, other genetics that don't allow them to break down the sulfur from the nuts that are, and the eggs and things like that, then sometimes they do have to come off that and do a very strict autoimmune paleo. But most of the time, my patients tolerate just a standard autoimmune, um, like an autoimmune diet, which is, it, you know, takes out all the junk, you know, nothing processed, no sugar, no dairy, no wheat, no corn, no soy, uh, takes out the nightshades, takes out the citrus, but 
really leaves, um, you know, does leave eggs in there. It leaves coconut oil um, and some of the other nutritional fats. So generally, I start there with my patients. And then if we have to ramp up, I will go to the autoimmune paleo. So, so no citrus and no nightshades. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Both of which, you know, can create huge histamine responses and then, of course, downregulate the COMT mutation in the wrong direction. So um, a lot of those patients, those are the patients that come into my office. And, you know, like a standard dose for a probiotic is somewhere between like 10 and 20 billion bacteria, right, of a, yep. of a decent probiotic. These are the patients that get 350 CFUs in a dose. So they are getting uber, uber high doses of probiotics that are specific strain to be able to heal and seal the gut and allow their body to produce the proper enzymes to be able to break down uh, the bad neurochemicals and produce the right neurochemicals in, in the right ratios. And so and then, of course, in the meantime, you have to, you know, clean up the leaky gut, because when you have leaky gut, which is basically like Swiss cheese tissue, for lack of a better word, it's just a good description for people to understand, uh, you have higher levels of uh, of the immune system working kind of against you. So it's it's kind of like an autoimmune phenomena that happens in your gut. So removing any of the foods that can cause any level of inflammation really helps heal and seal the gut. Did, did you say 350 billion CFUs? Is that what you yes, said? Yes, that's what I said. Yeah. Wow, okay. And, and do you use um, things like glutamine to help with the leaky gut? Is that is that a histamine creator or is that something I would use to help seal the gut? Well, in somebody who's methyl sensitive that has a COMT mutation, you can't use glutamine. They wouldn't tolerate it. So sometimes you can get away with N-acetylcysteine, which is a glutathione precursor, and so you will get some gut healing with that. But sometimes these patients are so literally revved up, like I said, they're the paratroopers ready to jump out of the windows in your office, um, that you have to start very, very slowly. Sometimes these patients are so out of balance, they can't even tolerate vitamin D. You know what I mean? Like they're they're that inflamed. So you have to just go very, very slowly with them. And and I was just having a discussion with another provider. And I said, I know sometimes you feel bad. These patients wait three or four months to get into your office. They feel horrible. They're trying they're reading all this stuff online. They're trying to do everything that they can for their body. They come in your office and you're like anti-inflammatory diet and a, and a bunch of probiotics. I'll see you in three months. Like you haven't even addressed the methylation because unless you clean up the gut, you're going to have real, real trouble trying to push methylation pathways in the brain. Interesting. So if someone who has this mutation cannot use things like like glutamine. Interesting. Right. Exactly. They can't even use methylfolate. You know what I mean? Some of these people can't even tolerate strawberries. You know, things like uh, strawberries or, or red grapes that have high levels of phenols can actually slow the COMT even further. That's further down regulation. So now that leaves you more dopamine in your brain. And, um, you know, with autistic kids that eat a lot of strawberries when their ears get red, that's a that's a phenol sensitivity. So you know that their COMT mutation is down regulating. And so dopamine is very intimately tied with speech with kids with autism. So it's 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 fascinating to me the amount of food that you can use to heal your body and probably kill you too, but you know mostly heal. All right. So when just just to clarify things, do you want this gene down regulated or up regulated, or is there a you, balance between? Well. Them? 
Exactly. You want it down-regulated when you need to sleep, um, when you are calm, and you want it up-regulated if you have to run from a dinosaur. You know what I mean? So it needs to be in perfect balance. And that's why the gut has to be in good shape, because the gut is where you're manufacturing all of these neurotransmitters. And so you need to get the right signals from the gut to be able to modulate these neurochemicals in your brain to say, run from a dinosaur because there's a dinosaur behind you, or go to sleep because it's nighttime. Okay. Yeah. You ready, Dr. Becker? I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. My, my wife and I both have double positive COMT V158M and COMT H62H. Yep. And and double negative for COMT P199P. So what, okay. what, is that, what does that mean for us? Okay. So tell me this. I need your MTHFR status and I need your VDR status. Do you have those? No, I don't. I okay. don't. I can tell you that I I am not I do not have positive MTHFR. My wife okay. is my wife. Okay. So you probably would do okay with low dose methyl groups. So you should probably have like a nice balance of hydroxy B, uh, adenosyl B, methyl B, and a little bit of folate. And that you probably would tolerate pretty well. I wouldn't take it every day, you know, maybe twice a week or if you're going to go, you know, run 10 miles or something like that where you really have a high demand on your cells. I would certainly keep your gut in, in very, very good shape. And for your wife, I would say she probably needs to stay away from methyl donors like all together, fix her gut. And then maybe at some point in the future, we could do a very, very small dose of methylfolate and uh, methyl B12 or use adenosyl B12 with her. So if you have both the MTHFR and the COMT as a female, that makes you estrogen dominant. So those are things for her I would be really, really cautious about. Her diet should be really clean. You know, she should continue to exercise. She should drink a lot of water to, you know, to facilitate natural detox. And, you know, you got to keep her anxiety in check. Okay. I don't that's, know if she's anxious, but, you know, that's what you kind of have. Okay. That's exactly what I was looking for. So that's the kind of stuff you – if somebody comes in or you, you order these tests with somebody, that's the, this is the kind of work you're doing for them, right? You're outlining what they need to do if they have these mutations. Exactly. Exactly right. And and it's it's, you know, with holistic medicine, it's far more than take a pill and show back up. It is, you know, you've got to look at the diet. You have to look at their environment. People that have both COMT and VDR are very sensitive to EMFs. So those are the people that you say, hey, do you have Wi-Fi at home? You should probably turn it off at night. You should think about hardwiring it. You know, you should think about, you know, taking some ginkgo or, you know, taking some alpha lipoic acid before you get on an airplane. You know, those are the things it's it's so much of it is practical application because taking a pill once a day, you know, for that two seconds that you swallow the pill is has a, a far less, you know, implication than what you're doing, you know, in your day, in your life and how you're living your life for sure. All righty. So VDR, my wife has positive slash negative for VDR BSM and VDR TAQ. Okay, so she's probably a 50 50 on the on whether or not she's got uh, COMT that needs to be managed. A lot of times the VDR works exactly the opposite of the COMT. So remember, I said the two copies of the COMT mean you have excess dopamine. If you have zero copies of VDR, you have excess dopamine. Because remember, VDR stands for vitamin D receptor. And vitamin D is a cofactor in how our bodies make dopamine. So if you have kind of a if she's got a 50 50 there, then she's probably 
kind of even Steven. And what we would need to do with her is just really kind of see what she tolerates. I probably would start with B12, uh, excuse me, with vitamin D with her. Beautiful, beautiful. <clears throat> uh, this is fascinating. I, I hope that the audience is listening on how fine-tuned this can be and, and how by looking at something that you get from this genetic test, you can f absolutely fine-tune your nutrition, your diet, your supplements, and how this is not something that's willy-nilly or guessing, or it, it's very fine-tuned and specific. It's br absolutely brilliant. Oh, and that's, and that's exactly it. And that's one of the reasons why I think I really fell in love with naturopathic medicine is that it is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And um, I'm speaking at Autism One. Um, in like next week, I think it is. And it's interesting when you do the intake form as a speaker, they ask you all of these questions and they're like, you know, how many children have you cured? And what's the percentage in your practice that you, you know, cured and this, that and the other thing. So I wrote all of them. Like I, I had no idea what they were looking for because I, you know, I, the treatment is so individualized that in some cases you're not doing anything but managing genetics. Like you're not even treating the autism. You're managing the genetics so that the child, the child can just heal on their own. You know, and um, so she kind of called me and was like, so what does all of them mean? I'm like, uh, all of them. She was like, oh, all right, cool. Can you speak on Friday? I'm like, sure. You know, so it was just kind of a funny exchange because I had no idea what they were looking for. But it is a very, very unique and pinpointed approach for sure. Cool. So you mentioned stress before. What is the mm -hmm. role in does stress play in upgrading, downregulating? And how important is that when you're talking about these these genetic mutations? So stress, of course, is a big one for a lot of reasons. You know, you start with the gut. So when you have high levels of stress, and again, remember, the body doesn't recognize the difference between physical stress and emotional stress. The response is the same. So whether you are sitting by the bedside of, of your dying parent or you've been in a car crash, your body doesn't really interpret that any differently. And so because of that, if you've created and modulated a stress response that's now become a chronic experience for your body, you have high levels of adrenaline or cortisol. Now we know when we have high levels of cortisol, we have high levels of blood sugar, right? Because the body thinks you're a caveman and you got to run from a dinosaur. So you better have blood sugar in your muscles to be able to, you know, run 30 miles away from, you know, the T-Rex. So in that case, we know when we have high blood sugar, we know that sugar can create a, a leaky gut phenomena. So we have that to contend with first. When you have a leaky gut phenomena, then what ends up happening is, of course, there's all these, you know, like I said, the Swiss cheese kind of gut. Then you get an immune reaction. So now you have high cortisol, you have an immune reaction. After a period of time, three weeks, three months, three years, every body is different. You end up with in a chronic state. So one of two things can happen. Either you produce high levels of adrenaline for an exceedingly long period of time and develop all kinds of physical symptoms in your body. Moon face, um, you know, that hump that our grandmas all used to have on the back of their neck and, you know, your and osteoporosis and, and your body physically changes. Or your, your adrenal, uh, adrenal glands basically check out and you've become basically an amoeba. You just have no response to anything. And so when we have a lot of stress and our genetics aren't quite right, you're going to get a misfiring either in one way or the other, depending on what the body's experiencing, that's going to create huge problems, number one, in the gut, and then two, with the neuromodulation in the brain. So now I know we all live here 
we all have stress in our lives. And you also know a small amount of stress can be beneficial, right? It, it um, pinpoints our focus. It allows us to, you know, readjust our priorities. I mean, a little bit of stress in life is normal and our bodies are equipped for that. We're talking about chronic long-term stress. And for those patients, depending on what they uh, present with, of course, you always start with diet. And if they are very, you know, susceptible to, you know, changes in their bodies and they can't tolerate things like methyl B12 or curcumin or adrenal support or something like that. Sometimes you do nothing more than tell them to take an Epsom salt bath, you know, save money and have a massage once a week, drink a lot of water and take a probiotic because sometimes patients just can't handle any more than what's already on their plate. So, so the, it's, it's the same old story and in fine tuned at the, it's, you know, get your stress in check, sleep well, eat a really great diet, heal your gut. And then from there, then you do all the little fine tuning. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think the message is any different. You know what I mean? With any of these mutations, other than the fact that I think that having that validation. So, you know, in evidence of full disclosure, I struggle with this mutation myself. And, you know, I've been doing this long enough and I'm like, oh. You know, I didn't get enough sleep. Now I've upregulated my COMT, so I'm going to wake up anxious. Or, you know, now I know that my body has had enough and I'm downregulating it, so I have to go to bed at 5 o'clock. And so I think it's, it's more about having a conversation about taking care of your person. You know what I mean? Like I always say, take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. You know, like, and you have to know what that is for you. Is there anything else you can think of that we can do to help balance this COMT mutation? Well, so there's lots of things. I mean, there's a lot of education around, you know, having patients not consume fermented and processed foods. You know, we know that that can raise glutamate levels. And so you had asked a question about glutamine, right? And glutamine is, you know, you can go into the health food store and, you know, you say to the health food guy, hey, you know, I was diagnosed with leaky gut or I have bloating, this, that, and the other thing. And so the health food guy says, oh, take glutamine. It's great for your belly. So somebody who has a COMT mutation that's out of balance, you take a lot of glutamine, you eat a lot of fermented foods or even processed foods. And what that does is that actually uh, breaks down in your body and gives you glutamate, right? And we know that glutamate is an excitatory neurotoxin, which can make symptoms like migraines, epilepsy, bipolar and schizophrenia symptoms worse. So I think really, it's more about a conversation about what you shouldn't do as opposed to what you should do. You know what I mean? And I've also had patients who have terrible seasonal allergies, you know, and they come in and they say, I can't get through the season without, you know, doing things like taking Claritin. And I take Claritin around the clock. And then when my season's over, um, I stop taking the Claritin and I feel like I've had all those allergy symptoms come back. And so the reason that that happens is is because we know with something like Claritin, it blocks histamine. So when you're blocking histamine, it's indiscriminate, whether it's blocking histamine in your brain, in your gut, in your kidneys, in your skin, right? It just blocks histamine everywhere. So when you stop with that pharmaceutical, you get a double dose of histamine. So now this time what happens to patients is, is you may not get histamine in the places that you were blocking it originally. It may go to other places like your brain. So when you have a histamine imbalance in your brain, then you end up with a problem. Sometimes it's anxiety, sometimes it's insomnia. Then these patients think, oh, well, I'm going to go and, and, you know, drink a lot of bone broth or eat a lot of kimchi because, you know, somebody told me that these foods are really good for healing your gut. And I think I have a problem with my gut. And then that just provokes further damage in the COMT pathway. 
So, which is totally crazy. And it's, it can be counterintuitive for some people and certainly for some providers. And so that's why I think it's just more about getting the information out there. That's absolutely fascinating. Any now we we've done MTH, MTHFR, we've done COMT. Is there is there a, is there another one that we have to talk about eventually over time? So I think the next one that's really important is to talk about the DAO. Okay, which is another one of my absolute favorites because DAO exists in the gut lumen, right? In from the mouth to the anus. So what's so fascinating about DAO is is that that is the enzyme that breaks down histamine in the gut. Now, if you don't have broken down histamine in the gut, where's the histamine going to go into your brain? And so I think that's something we should probably talk about because it has tremendous implications both in pregnancy and breastfeeding and postpartum and in babies. And so that's definitely something we should we should chat about at some point in the future. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Uh, Thank you, uh, Kendra. Your your work is fascinating. I, I have more to think about on what I need to do for my health, because I'm looking at some of my mutations saying, my God, how do I have to refine my diet? So exactly, I, I appreciate your knowledge. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your friendship. And uh, I'm glad you were back on again today. Well, thank you so much. No, I wanted to bring up one more point. So yes. don't hang up on me yet. I won't. We got to talk. We, we're in New England, or I'm in New England. You're in New Jersey. You're pretty close. Lyme disease is a big deal with these patients with COMT. Meaning that it's if if you get Lyme disease, it's it's it could be worse, potentially worse. Is that what you're saying? Exactly right. So what happens with these patients is is we know when somebody has Lyme disease that the magnesium that we carry in our body gets used up by the bacteria to make biofilms, and the biofilms are what the Lyme bacteria uses to hide in the body. So when that happens, uh, turns out that magnesium is a cofactor in how the, the COMT gets modulated. So when that happens and all of your magnesium gets used up, you spike your ammonia in your gut. We're not talking about this in your blood. We're talking about this in your gut. And so when we spike ammonia, we have a huge problem in the brain with anxiety. So it's just, you know, something really, really important to address. If somebody sees a doctor about Lyme disease, about chronic Lyme disease, you definitely should take a look at your COMT mutation because it could be a huge implication in number one, normalizing that to be able to help cure and treat your Lyme disease. Would that mean in that case you need to take less magnesium or more magnesium in that case? So in that case, you'd actually want to take more magnesium, some to be for because the Lyme's going to steal it from you anyway, but more because it's actually going to help your body heal. So what we do sometimes with those patients is, is you switch the type of magnesium that they're taking, and so that kind of tricks the Lyme into looking for one kind of magnesium, and then the other kind can get bioabsorbed much better. So... But what we want to make sure we do is continue to clear the toxin. So if you take the magnesium along with the proper methylation support for your body, you have a much higher chance of clearing your Lyme disease. Wow, fascinating. So, there, 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 there's a, a just a blanket warning around here that t- ticks are much worse around here than they've ever been. I don't know why. I guess a, a warm winter. But yep. they've, really, um, they've really ratcheted up in there. Unfortunately, now there's – I don't know what they're spraying, but they're trying to kill all the ticks. Now, who the hell knows what they're using to kill them? I don't know if I want to know. Oh, no kidding. And around here, everybody's doing the same thing. And I've got neighbors on both sides of me that are spraying. One of them has um, an autoimmune disease. The other one has a child that has um, 
uh, a speech delay. I'm like, and you're spraying your yard with all this stuff. Get chickens. (laughs) I just my chickens eat all the ticks in the yard. So anybody that is concerned about Lyme disease, get yourself some backyard chickens and let them eat all the ticks. And that's my advice across the board. <laughs> that's pretty fast. You know, I know, I know yeah. when I found, I also found out that, that, um, uh, possums eat ticks as well. And I just caught and released one out of my yard. I'm, I'm leaving all the possums in my yard and getting a couple chickens. I'm done. Exactly. Exactly. I know it's really scary. But so my daughter went to a preschool, a nature preschool years ago, and she got Lyme disease there, which is a whole nother story. And I remember being like so upset by this whole thing. And the, the director of the preschool said, listen, there's no greater disease than being stuck inside. And so I always remember that. You know what I mean? Like you, if you are, you know, a strong, able-bodied person, you are doing all the right stuff, then the Lyme disease is not going to take hold in your body. And, you know, that's kind of what I like to leave people with because it's such a scary prospect. It sure is. It sure is. Well, thanks again. Uh, I appreciate your time. uh, That was a a brilliant way to finish. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, when you can use this genetic information to properly treat someone's Lyme disease just shows you how important this information is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer, your co-host, and you are listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please share this with your friends and encourage them to subscribe on iTunes. Leaving a review on iTunes is the icing on the case. It helps us move up the charts for more people to see us. You can subscribe to our incredible weekly email at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com. And as my oldest son Hayden says, be awesome and never unawesome. Hello, it's Dr. No, and I'm back. I suspect you loved listening to this week's podcast release. Our book of the month is simply incredible, and in our estimation, a book everyone needs to read. Cancer and the New Biology of Water by author Dr. Thomas Cowan should be on your super short list. Dr. Cowan has been on our podcast twice, wants to talk about Dr. Cowan's garden, his nutrient-dense, nutrient-diverse vegetable powders, and most recently, on November 11, 2019, to discuss his newest book. The link to purchase the book will be in our weekly newsletter and on our social media, posted and sent throughout the entire month. Our product of the month is the Juve Red Light Therapy Device. Photobiomodulation has been shown to assist with pain and inflammation release, fitness, training, and muscle recovery, and hormone regulation to highlight a few of its near countless benefits. As I mentioned, I own a Juve Mini and Juve Go and use them every day. My skin has never looked better, and I certainly recover faster from my workouts. On October 8, 2018, I interviewed the co-owner, Scott Nelson. I highly encourage you to listen and learn more about all the benefits of red light therapy using the Juve. The supplement of the month for February 2020 is Vitamin D3 Boost. It is pretty mainstream now how important vitamin D3 is to your overall health and wellness. What is not mainstream is the nutritional facts that vitamin D3 needs a few other cofactors, vitamins, and minerals to enhance its effectiveness. Recognizing this, we set out to formulate the gold standard for vitamin D3 supplement. Vitamin D3 Boost has the most active form of vitamin D, as well as vitamin K2, magnesium, and a little bit of MCT oil to enhance the absorption of these fat-soluble vitamins. This is truly a world-class vitamin D3 formulation. You can check out the spec sheet and research articles on our website. The 10% discount code for the month of February, and remember, it's case-sensitive, it's VITD10.
Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening and be awesome and never unawesome.